At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. The scripture says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God. Let's give thanks together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've spoken to us, that you have shown us the path of righteousness. You've shown us the way of life. You've spoken out of your love for us and out of your grace so that we would not come to destruction, that we would not perish, but that we would have life. So Lord, let us hear this morning. Open our ears and open our hearts to receive your word, to hear from you and to be changed. Help me as I teach your word this morning, Lord. Empower me and may your spirit fill me to speak clearly and well of your glory. Help us as a church family, Lord, to love and to prioritize what you do and to honor you. And Father, might you change us so that we show the world that watches in your great love and grace and power. Help us, Father, we pray. We are listening to you this morning. We ask you to humble our hearts now and that you would show us your mercy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, how do you know what your priorities are? Uh, do, you, do you know that your priorities are just, or are, are your priorities just the things that you've decided to, to declare as your priorities? You say, you know what, these are the things that are most specifically important uh, to me. These are the things that are priorities. So maybe you have a little list and you say, okay, well, priorities are uh, making sure that I have a secure financial basis and that I can retire well. And so that's a priority for me. And a second priority would be family. You know, that would be something I would want to take care of and have a good uh, reality with. Family's got to be a priority. And then maybe Maybe somewhere along the line, particularly because you've shown up here today, that you'd say, you know what, uh, relationship with God, some sort of religion thing has to be somewhere on the priority list. Uh, are your priorities just things that you've declared and put on a list? How would you know if that's the case or not? How would you know if they're actually truly priorities in your life? I wonder if we're quick to say that something is a priority. We're quick to identify this is a priority for our lives, and yet... When it comes down to the everyday nuts and bolts of our lives, that priority really doesn't register. It really doesn't show up in, in how we live. The truth of the matter is that our delights, the things that we love, the things that we cherish, the things that we, we think about a lot, that we, that we sink our hearts into, the things that, that are kind of on the, the front of our mind day in and day out and that are moving our hearts and that we, we desire that's really where our priorities are. The, the things that you, that you lay awake at night dreaming of and hoping for, 
That's, that's where your priorities are really found. And those things give us great joy and delight. And the things that we meditate on are the things that, that become the priorities of our lives. The things that we constantly pursue, those are the things that could be said of, that's really your priority. Which, which is so important for us to understand, not just as it relates to our individual lives, not just, just, not just me and God and, and my specific life, but even as a, a church, even as an as a assembly together for the glory of God, the things that we delight in most reveal themselves as our priorities. That's what we value. The things that we pursue and chase and, and act in our lives and, and delight in, those become our priorities. Not just the things that we put on a piece of paper or on a website and say, these are our priorities and our values. So I want to ask the question this morning. I, I have to ask it of you individually to think about, but also corporately together as a church. Do we really value what we say we value? Do we really prioritize the things that we say we prioritize? In particular, as we think about gathering and what it means to be the church together, we call ourselves a Bible church. We say we're Woodside Bible Church, but do we truly value the Word of God? Is that something that is really a priority in our lives and as a family together, spiritually? Is that really the, the dedication of our hearts? As I mentioned, we're beginning a new series called Assembly Required. And we, we look at this and we think about what it means to be the church. The church must be a church. Uh, the church to be truly what the Bible says of the church is to be a people together. Christianity isn't just some sort of you and God, and it doesn't matter about anything else, sort of faith or religion. True Christianity places us in a family together. It makes us a people together. That we aren't isolated and separated, even though right now we've had to isolate and separate quite a bit because of health issues. But fundamentally, the word shows us that we are a people that are gathered together. The word church itself means assembly, to be together. And so we want to spend some time in the next uh, several weeks, four weeks together in this part and then three weeks in another part, looking at the Bible's worship source book, the Psalms. The, the, the place in the scripture that leads us in praying to the Lord and leads us in understanding how we are to live and to worship God even as we gather. We want to spend these next few weeks looking at what it means for us to gather and to identify priorities. To say this is what the scripture says should be a priority. Are these priorities for us as we gather together, as we are the people of God this morning in his presence? So we're going to look today, and we're going to start with the beginning of the worship source book of the Bible. We're going to begin with Psalm chapter 1. It's the entrance into the Psalms. It kind of helps get us on the way, as some have said, into the Psalms and into our prayers and, and addressing God and knowing Him. And this Psalm begins for us a setting of demonstrating the priority of the Word of God for us. This Psalm takes us right to the Bible itself and says, here's where life of flourishing, a life of blessing, a life of fruitfulness, and a life of salvation are truly found. And it raises the question for us, do we truly prioritize the Bible? I would say it this way, that as a church family, we gather to delight in God's word. The priority for the church as we gather 
Yes, it's about community. Yes, it's about seeing one another and being in fellowship together. Yes, it's about encouraging one another and being on mission to the world together. But all of those things are under, they are subordinate to our need for the leadership of God from his word. That the church gathers to delight in God's word. We are a people that must be ruled and led by God. And how does God rule and lead us? Through his word. Not through whatever sub, sort of subjective feelings that we would have inside, not, not some sort of inclination in our, in our mind or in our gut to say, this is the way it is. But as a people of God, as the people of God, we must fundamentally understand that we are led by God in his word. And so we gather to delight in his word. We gather to enjoy him as he speaks to us. And this psalm shows for us the benefits of God's word for our life. So what, what happens when we delight in and meditate on? What happens when we truly prioritize God's word in our lives and in our gatherings together? Even our gatherings on live stream. What happens when we do that? Well, this psalm shows us three benefits or three blessings, if you will. Three benefits of gathering and uh, meditating on the word of God together, truly delighting in the word. Here's the benefits that come to us from, from the scripture themselves. I don't want to take us into this uh, this morning. The psalm is an invitation for us. It, it's not heavy-handed. It, it doesn't bear down on us and, and strike us hard. It, it invites us. It, it lures us in. It, it woos us into the word itself. And, and it does that by showing us, here's how good life is when it's lived under the word of God. Here's, here's how beneficial and flourishing and beautiful life is when we have the word of God as our center and when we delight in God's word. Let me show us these benefits. The first one is this, that the word of God itself brings blessing. It brings blessing. And I, I say, yes, I want to sign up for that. Like that is, that is something I desire for my life. I don't, I don't want to live life on, at the school of hard knocks. I don't want to, I want to, don't want to live life in the hard way. I want, to, I want to enjoy the blessing of God on my life. Okay. I would say that's probably, if I'm fair, that's probably true for you. You desire that as well. You at least got you thinking about it for just a moment this morning. So how does the word do that? Well, let me show you here. First of all, the first word of this psalm is blessed. That word can be translated happy. It's this idea of here's flourishing, here's, here's the beautiful life, here's joy, here's happiness. Happy is the person. I mean, this is, again, this invitation in, like, do you want, do you want a happy life? Do you, want, do you want a blessed life? Yeah, okay, I'm in for that. Blessed is the man or the woman, the person. But then the psalmist turns and he goes, let's make the contrast. Let me show you what not to do first or, or where not to go to begin with. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And he's just positioning us there, and get, get the imagery in your mind eye here for just a moment, of being on a road. And, and the road's going to come to a fork. There's going to be two paths that you're going to be able to take, but you've got to understand you're on the road to begin with. And as you're on that road, you, you, you hear the psalmist cry out and say, there's a blessed life, there's happiness, there's fullness of joy, there's, there's pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Well, do you want them? Okay, well, it's, it's not found in the person who begins, first of all, by walking in the counsel of the wicked. Take note of the verb there, walk. 
It's the idea of a, a persistent lifestyle. It's a movement. Walking in the counsel or in the, in the wisdom, in the, in the information of the wicked. The, the wicked here, he's, he's speaking about the world that has positioned itself against God. The world that's, that's saying, here's how we are going to do life. And we won't be ruled by anyone but ourselves. And, and you only live once, so you do it your way. It's the world that constantly is feeding us. Here's the way to the best life, even though it's a, a road to death. That person, he says, who's blessed is not the person who's walking on that road or, or at least not letting the counsel of the wicked be their main source of information and wisdom in life. The, the wicked are speaking in and they're filling in and they're saying, this is the best life. And are you listening to that? Are you taking in that counsel? Are you letting that, quote unquote, wisdom, which is no wisdom at all, direct your life? Well, that's, that's not going to lead you to life. It's not going to lead you well. So don't go there. Don't listen to that counsel. But then there's another step in it. It's not just one who's listening to the counsel of the wicked and walking in it. So it's listening and saying, oh, yeah, that's wisdom. That's right. That's good. I'll follow that. But then there's another step. Nor stands. And I shouldn't say step. It's actually a halt. Again, the verb here. They've been walking, and now they're standing. They've stopped. They're standing in the way of sinners. The sinner's path that they're just like, okay. I'm in. I'm, I'm planting my flag on this road and saying, yes, here I am. I'm entrenched in this life, in this way, in this pattern of walking. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a person who stopped in their heart and said, okay, this is my, these are my peoples, right? This is my community. And again, he defines them as sinners. That's not a pejorative term. It's just a way of identifying, like, here's people who are opposed to and rebellious against God in thought, in attitude, in behavior, People who just throw their hands up and say, no, I'm going to do it my way. Whatever God has to say, yeah, you just throw that out the door. Like, I love my sin. I love the way I live. I love what I'm doing now. And I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I don't want anybody to rule my life. I don't want to tell anybody to tell me how to live. I'm just going to live my own way, standing in the way of sinners. That's not where the blessed life is. So the person has gone from walking and receiving the wisdom of the wicked, and then he stops, he stands in the way of sinners, and then the third movement is he, he takes a seat. He sits down. They don't, the blessed life is not in the person who sits in the seat of scoffers. I mean, just imagine that person, there's movement in their life, and then all of a sudden they come to a screeching halt, and now they're planted firmly on the ground. The, the seat of the scoffers is like, here I am. I've dropped anchor, and I am firmly living in this thing. This is where I'm at. A scoffer in the Bible isn't just somebody who's kind of ignorant and um, maybe simple in their life, and so they just like unwillingly sin or unknowingly sin or just kind of fall into it uh, by chance or accident. The scoffer is someone who his heart is set against. It's, it's active opposition to God. If you look in the, in the wisdom literature of the, of the Proverbs, there you see three or four different types of people. You see the simpleton. The guy who's just kind of like, I, I don't, uh, okay, I don't know. I'm just going to try and figure out life. And then there's the young person who's just immature. And the wisdom of the song, or Proverbs is there to help them grow up and figure it out. But then there's the wise person, the person who has received God's wisdom and counsel and instruction. And, and they're living in light of that wisdom. And then there's the scoffer. The scoffer is the, the most pitiable kind of fool. Because they've entrenched their heart in opposition against God. They're this, not just the skeptic, but the antagonistic skeptic against God. 
And they say, there is no God. I don't care about him. I'm not going to let him rule my life. I am, I'm in and I'm down. Now, in this one verse here, the invitation is like calling to us and saying, that's not the life you want, right? That's not where the blessed life is. So don't, don't go down that road. Don't be one who's listening to the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of the sinners or sitting. You just dropped your life into that of the seat of a skeptical scoffer. That's not where you find happiness. Where, where will it be? Where will this life of blessing be? Verse 2. But that blessed life there, he describes the person whose life is blessed, if you will, finds their delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, she meditates day and night. It's, it's for both, all of us there. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. The, law, the word delight there has the sense of joy, uh, the sense of, of pleasure, the sense of, of happiness. Like when I think about the law of God, a smile comes to my face, a warmth comes to my heart. Like, oh man, I, I, I long for the word. I desire the word. I love the word. When you delight in something, you want it more and more. You like it. Think, think relationally for just a moment. When you delight in another person, you want to be with them. You want to spend time with them. You enjoy them. You think about them. You dream about them. It's just like in your mind all the time. Whatever that is, whatever that delight is of your heart, it's on your mind and in your heart often. The blessed person finds their delight in the law of the Lord. The word their law, it's the Hebrew word Torah, which can mean instruction, leading of God. It's his word for us. And when the psalmist writes that, he's not just telling us about the first few books of the Bible. He's talking about the scripture as a whole. God's instruction and revelation for us. His clear word to guide and to lead our lives. That's where the blessed life is found. It's in someone who's saying, okay, I love God. I love his word. I want to hear from him. He's speaking to me. He's directing my steps. And in knowing his word and being in his word, it's not just that I'm taking in another book or more literature. It's in that I am meeting with God. I'm communing with him. I'm in relationship here, and that's where the delight is. It's like, okay, I go to the Word, and I get to be with the Lord right now. In His presence, it's beautiful. His delight is on the law of the Lord, and on that instruction, on His law, He meditates day and night. So there's delight, and then there's meditation. Meditation here fuels delight. It, it, it bursts it into flame all the more. The word here, meditate, it's not like the, uh, um, the Eastern religion's idea of meditate where you empty your mind and you just kind of sit and, oh, you know, kind of just do whatever it is. The word meditation here has the idea of filling up. Literally, the word in the Hebrew means to, to kind of mumble or murmur. It's like you've got something on your mind and in your heart that's just kind of beating around on your lips. It's, it's there often. My kids have picked up a weird trait of mine. I don't think I would have noticed it ever until they exposed it to me. But I'll get to thinking about something, and I'll get to, sometimes it's the Bible itself, but I'll be thinking about something, and I'll having, be having a conversation with myself in my head. And I'll be talking to myself. But what I didn't realize is that in those moments where I'm just kind of focused and kind of often, you know, the twilight zone in my own thoughts, my lips will start moving. 
and I'll, and I'll start saying things, just real quietly, maybe it's just under my breath, you know, that kind of thing. And I'll just start like murmuring on it. One day I was in the, the, uh, the, living, or the dining room in the kitchen, and I was just I was talking to myself, and I was thinking, and Allison could see me just kind of zoned out. And she, she said something to me. I don't remember what she said, but she said to me something to me. And then I realized, I heard like, oh, some, a human being is talking to me that's not me. And uh, I, I looked over and she was like, yeah? She goes, you didn't hear a word I said. I'm like, what? Then she goes, who are you talking to, Dad? I wasn't talking to anybody. Your lips were moving and words were coming out. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They start laughing at me about it. This is the idea of meditation here, okay? He's like, this is, there's something in your heart and in your mind, and and it's just, it's there on your lips, and you're just kind of mumbling, murmuring about it. It's just, it's, you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it. It's there. Cropping up. He talks about that's how we meditate on the Word of God. Day and night, that gives us a sense of it's a continual thing. It's there for us. Now, what he's, what he's pointing us to, what the psalmist here is trying to help us see is that a life that finds blessing from God is a life that is saturating itself in the word of God. It's a life that's saying, okay, Lord, you have spoken, you have revealed yourself, and I want to take in all that you have for me so that I grow and that I love and that I delight in you all the more. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. It's the life that we, we all want It's to mull over the word of God in our lives day after day after day. It's having it on our lips, memorizing it, having it in our hearts, placing it on our hands in our obedience. The 16th century philosopher Erasmus said it this way. He said, the one sure bulwark against all the assaults of the demons and the devil is that a person should be thoroughly and wholeheartedly imbued with the scriptures. In them the righteous man takes delight. Each time that scorning and rejecting all others, he uses the language of a wedding, right? You know those vows, like scorning, rejecting all others and be faithful to you alone. Each time that scorning and rejecting all others, he gazes with wonder and love on this one true pearl. The human heart, he says, is naturally disposed towards love and cannot remain empty of it. Moreover, the lover himself becomes like the thing he loves. So if someone loves the Holy Scriptures, he's enraptured and changed and transfigured into Christ's likeness. It's beautiful. There's where the blessing of life comes from. And this is why we must be people of the Word of God. This is why you in your life daily as a follower of Jesus must take the Word of God and supply it into your heart to read the word, to meditate on the word, to study the word, to pray the word, to memorize the word. The word leads us. And that's how we are directed and we find flourishing. But not just individually, but corporately as whole. Our gatherings are not just to reproduce some sort of kind of spiritual feelings of happiness or or to enact some religious rites. It's not just about fellowship and, and seeing one another. Our gatherings fundamentally as a church are to be led by God. We're here to hear from God so that we can walk with God during the week. We lift our praises to him. And so how do we hear from God? Well, it's not going to come from me telling you whatever pop culture is saying is awesome right now. It's not going to be coming for me coming to you and throwing great stories about the world at large or picking up the latest philosophy or ideologies of the culture right now. There is one way for you to be led as a people, for us to be led as a people from God, and it's because he's spoken. 
It's from his word. So God has spoken, and he leads us through his word, which is why Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and I will never give up doing this, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we preach the word. We communicate, thus saith the Lord. It's to help you grow and to flourish. Think about, think about the musicians that, that lead us here week after week. What do they have that helps them stay on beat? And I'm not a very good musician, and beats are not great for me. I don't do it well. But what do they have? They have a metronome, or a click is what they call it, a beat. that helps them stay on the beat. We need that beat as well, and that beat is the gathering of the church week after week after week to hear the word of God. It's the click week after week to say, thus saith the Lord for us to grow and flourish together to find his blessing in that. The Christian finds blessing from God by delighting in and meditating on his word. It's a beautiful place for us. The second benefit, though, leads us more into that. Okay, we're finding his blessing his, his radiant smile on us. And that doesn't mean that life is filled with just, you know, daisies and roses and everything is perfect and wonderful. He takes us in and he invites us in even further. Verse 3, he takes us to the second benefit. And that is the benefit of the word bringing fruitfulness. The word causes something to happen in our lives. If we're, if we're humble and we're listening to the word of God and we're meditating on it and delighting in it, fruit is born. We, we change, we grow. Look with me at verse three. Again, the psalmist continues the imagery. He's got us on a path. He says there's the way of the wicked and then there's the way of the righteous, the way of the blessed one. Which, which road are you on? And then he takes us into a garden. He says this person who meditates on the law of the Lord and delights in it, he is like a tree, like a tree planted by streams of water but it yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. Wow, what an invitation. I mean, there's a, there's a laid out call for us. And all that he does, he prospers. And so what does that look like? Well, think about a garden. Think about within that garden a great tree. I mean, this is kind of like paradise, like Eden kind of experience here for us to think on. And this, this tree there planted by streams of water. Well, what happens when you get a, a tree that's planted by a, a, a clean, resourceful, nourishing stream? There's life, right? The tree's roots reach down. They grab the nourishment, of the soil, and the water. And it gets stable. And it grows. That's, that's the word of God for us. There is that, that stream of life that nourishes our hearts and lives, that shows us the way of God, that shows us more particularly Christ himself. I mean, this is an echo. Jesus, I think, was kind of picking up on this in John chapter 15 when he said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can bear no fruit. I mean, he's like, I'm the way, I'm life. And so there we find that, that tree planted by streams of water, receiving its nourishment and receiving everything it needs to grow and to flourish and to be strong, and that yields its fruit in its season. A healthy tree, when you look at it, you see there's the fruit. It's obvious that that tree is alive. It's obvious by the fruit of it what kind of tree it is, whether it's a good and healthy tree or whether it's corrupt and rotten and decaying. You see it by the evidence of its life. The fruit is there what about our, our lives as well? A life de delighting in and meditating on the word of God yields spiritual fruit. 
It, it yields the kind of fruitfulness that, that the scripture calls us to. So where we are people who listen to the word and love the word and obey the word, God works within us and changes us. He, he produces this fruitfulness. It's not just a church growing in numbers. It's, it's a life that's completely dif- different. It's a distinct life. It's a, a spirit-led life. Well, what does that look like? Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, which Paul says, against these things there is no law. I mean, that's, that's the evidence of our faith. It's the evidence of the Spirit working within us. It's the evidence of a life that is in and meditating on and delighting in God's Word. And where you see those fruits, where I see those fruits among the people of God, I'm saying there's a life that's growing. Where those fruits are not evident, it it causes me at least to ask, and maybe you should ask yourself about that, is saying, am I really delighting in the Lord? Am I I really in his word? Do Do I listen and obey him? The word brings fruitfulness. Furthermore, it brings stability. In its leaf, it does not wither. Now, this isn't talking about the change of seasons from like, summer to fall where the leaves fall off the tree and then it goes dormant into winter. This, this leaves withering kind of thing happens when drought is there and when there's death, when there's, when there's affliction and hardship. The, the person who's in the word, the person who's saturated by the word, led by the word of God, even though affliction hits, even though hardship comes, even though trial bears down on that life, it's not dead, it's not broken, it's not... It's not decaying and lost. It's a life that's stable, even in the dry times. It's a life that's standing, even when the drought hits. Because it's a blessed life. It's a fruitful life from God. It's a secure life. So much so that the last line, in all he does, he prospers, stands there. Now hear me very clearly. This is not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel kind of promise. Just to say, well, if you read the Bible... You can go and get on the stock market today and just throw your money in and some investments and it'll, you know, just go nuts and you'll, you'll be a billionaire come tomorrow, right? It's, it's not that kind of promise. It's saying in the, in the heart of your life, in the walk with God, in the flourishing and righteousness and holiness that you are desiring, that's where you'll prosper. It's a calling us to the next life and to, to the life that Christ has for us in him. That's the prospering in the fruit of the spirit, in stability and hardship, in endurance in Christ, in faithfulness to him. So don't take verse 3 and pull that out of its context and say, well, here, if I read the Bible, then I get that new Ferrari or that million dollar, million square foot home is mine. I'm saying, no, no, no. In the word and is in the benefits of the word is a spiritual life of fruitfulness and stability and nourishment. You will prosper, just like that tree standing beside the streams of living water. This is what must be true for us as a church and as a people, to draw nourishment from the word. That's why Christ has spoken for us. It's from his word that he leads the church that he rules the church, and he has ordained for us. Jesus has spoken for us that where his word is faithfully proclaimed, their fruitfulness is, and a church that is bearing good fruit in the world exists. Where the word is neglected and diminished, famine hits the land. And so let's be people of the word. Let's be a church of the word. 
Let me say it again clearly. When you neglect the word of God in your own life, you will not find flourishing and fruitfulness. You may be able to get along physically in life okay, but the things that matter, the life that matters, won't be found there because you're missing God speaking to you and for you. You miss the grace of his word for you. So the word brings us, its benefits for us are blessing and fruitfulness. And lastly, the benefit of the word is that it brings salvation. It brings salvation. Look with me at verses four through six. And he's talked about it and he's, he's invited us in. He's, he's getting us to think and to say, okay, where's the word of God in my life? Do I love the law of God? Do I, do I delight in it? Is it in my meditation? If so, this is what my life will look like. But then he makes a contrast and he just wants to hold up the mirror in reverse and say, okay, let me show you what, let me show you what life is like apart from the word. The life that is neglecting and ignoring, dismissing the wicked life, as he calls it, verse 4. He says, the wicked are not so. They don't flourish. They aren't fruitful. They aren't stable. They are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. It's dust, dust in the wind. It's the wicked's way of life. It just blows and they're gone. Chaff is the dust and the husk and the, the stuff that's just expendable off living things. It's just gone. And so therefore he says, because of this, because that's not how the wicked are, they're not stable, Planted, rooted, deep, secure, flourishing. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. God longs for us to be standing, but the wicked will not, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, here's where he's getting us, and we need to think about who we are. You see, this psalm doesn't leave for us a sense of like, okay, there's, there's several options here and we can choose one. The psalm here leaves for us two roads, two ways. Many of us think about the world and we think about it in this light. We go, okay, well, there's, there's, there's many, you know, there's, there's just a few ways that it goes. There's the really wicked people and that's what we've got to think about here. Who is he talking about when he says the wicked? Many of us think like, okay, there's, there's the world, you know, 7 billion people right now on the planet and the world and there's like maybe maybe. 20%, I mean, that's, that's maybe a little aggressive, but like there's 20%, maybe, let's just be kind, 10. 10% of the world, they're like really the wicked. I mean, they're the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Saddam Husseins. I mean, they're the, the people that are horrible. They're going to hell and they deserve it. And then there's like 80% of the world, you know, and that's, that's, that's probably most of us. And, you know, like it's, it's not like we're perfect. I mean, we all acknowledge that, but, you know, we're we're doing okay. We're trying the best we can. We're, we're pretty decent for the most part. We're getting along. And so there's like an 80% of us, and we're just kind of like the middle group, you know. Like we're, we're going to go to the middle place, if you will, or we're like the, the, the decent people, okay, just neutral there. And then there's like another 10%. And that 10%, like they are the righteous, okay. I mean, they are like, they're the apostles. <laughs> you know, they're, the, they're the really religious people, and they, they're, they're the righteous, and so we kind of categorize the world in those three areas, and we put most of ourselves in the 80% category there. We're not the wicked. We're not the super righteous. We're just kind of there in the middle. The Scriptures doesn't leave that for us. Biblical reality doesn't have that 80% thing going on. It's got two categories, the wicked and the righteous. And the wicked is everybody to start. From day one, out of your mother's womb, you are landed in the category of the wicked. Why? Because your heart is dead spiritually. 
You're dead in your trespasses and sins and in the unrighteousness with which you walked. Ephesians 2, 1. There we are. That's, that's all of us. So, so if we're going to start this morning and say, I don't want a life that leads to death. I don't want a life that, that doesn't have flourishing and blessing within it. We've got to start by acknowledging we are the wicked. We were the wicked. We need help. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. The day is coming where we stand before the Lord and he will, he will judge us and the wicked will not stand. There will be death. They, they aren't part of the congregation of the righteous. Again, the wicked and the sinners here, they're parallel statements. It's synonymous. That's us, sinners, rebels against God, alienated from him, living our own way, raising our fist at him and saying, I'm gonna do it my way. How dare you tell me how to live? God, you're dumb and stupid. Whatever words we wanna throw in there, we are those wicked people. And that's our hearts and our lives towards God. Every one of us will stand before the Lord on the last day and give an account. And we will not be measured by how much good we did versus how much bad we did. God doesn't tip our deeds on the scales and say, well, you're a better person, so, hey, you're in the 80-plus percent category. Come on up to heaven and enjoy me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of our sin is death. So that's what we have coming for us, universally. But that's not what you want. That's not what I want, right? That's not the desire we have, so we, we need help. We can't earn it our own way. We can't do enough good deeds to get up to heaven to get, to get God to acknowledge us or to say, oh yeah, you're in now. Our sin is great and we need a great savior. And there's where the word takes us. The word shows us the way of the righteous. And the way of the righteous is not our own deeds, but it's Christ. Jesus who said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so he invites us into him as the way. He calls out to us and he says, you want salvation? You want life? You want to stand in the company of the righteous, in the congregation of the righteous? Because the Lord knows you? Well, you've got to come to Christ. There's your salvation. Now, friends, there's this idea out there that we can just kind of like find our way to God, that we just got to stretch out our hand, close our eyes, and Feel it out to get to God. That's not the way. It won't work that way, which is why God has spoken to us. We can look to the world outside. We can look to nature, and that's called general revelation, and we can see God exist. That's the way he's fashioned it. Nature demonstrates God's fingerprints are all over nature. And so we can see that God exists. We can know he's great, and he's wise, and he's powerful, but that won't lead us to salvation. We need specific revelation. We need special revelation. And God has given us that. He's loving and kind and he's saying, yeah, I want to tell you how to get to heaven. I want to tell you how to know me and have life forever. So let me write it down for you in a book. Let me give you a word. The writer of Hebrews says, in the past, in the past, God spoke to our fathers and the prophets through various times at various ways or in various ways by various means but in these last days so now here today he has spoken to us why how through his son a definitive act of speaking god has said here is my son jesus who came and lived the perfect righteous life that none of us lived where we don't deserve to stand in the judgment jesus in his perfect righteous life could. And then he went to the cross for us. 
and he died for our sins. He died for our rebellion and our wickedness and our listening to the counsel of the wicked and standing in the way of the sinners and sitting in the seats of the scoffers. Jesus died because that's where we were. And that's maybe where you are this morning. He shed his blood for you and was raised to life again on the third day so that we might, coming to him, repenting of our sin and embracing him by faith, we might find him as the way, the way of righteousness that the Lord knows so that we don't perish. Now, where do we find that? How do we know that? Not just because we felt it out. Scripture speaks. The word of God is our instruction. And so the word of God brings salvation. Faith, which is essential for us to be saved. We are saved by God's grace, which we receive through faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing, as the scripture says, through the word of Christ. So it's good news for you and I this morning. God's spoken and, he, and he's given us, his, uh, as some have said, his love letters. Saying, I love you. I want you to know grace. I want you to walk in life. I want you to be changed and transformed. I want to enjoy your presence and I want you to enjoy my presence forever. And where is that found? It's in Christ. And where do we know of Christ? Not through our feelings, not through subjective things, not through the teachings of pop culture and the world, from his word. To neglect the word is to neglect salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. But listen and receive and come to Christ the way. That's what the church must be about that is what is required as we assemble together to be a people of the word with the word of salvation, not only for us, but to the world as a whole. When we gather and hear the gospel, we are brought into the realm of God's salvation as he has disclosed it to us in Christ that we receive by faith. So friends, let me conclude it this way in asking you, what are your priorities? What are your priorities? Is it just to go about your life however you want, maybe your work, your career, your 401k, your family. What are, what are your priorities? And are your priorities matched? Are they matched by the way you live and what you delight in and meditate on? The life that is blessed and fulfilled, that God ple is pleased by, that he, he brings fruitfulness to is a life that is centered around the word. And that is what the church must do. We gather to delight in the word of God because there is blessing and fruitfulness and salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for speaking. That you did not leave us on our own to figure this out, or you have not left us that, that we might never know you and perish. But you've spoken in your word and spoken in your son that we might have life. Lord, we pray this morning that we would be dedicated more and more to you, that we would be devoted more and more to you, that we would listen and meditate on, that we would delight in your word and instruction so that we're fruitful and blessed and secure and alive and a blessing to our neighbors and to the world. May your spirit cause us not to harden our hearts this morning,
but to open our hearts more and more to see your way of salvation and not to neglect it, but to come to you. How we thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.